Hello and welcome to Tops 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and asks them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them and to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer-engineer. I'm David Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college, and the originator and host of Tops 10. Today I have with me a special guest, Robert L. Duncan. Mr. Duncan became the fourth chancellor of Texas Tech University on July 7, 2014. As chancellor, Duncan is the chief executive officer of the Texas Tech University system, which includes four institutions, Texas Tech University, Texas Tech University Health Science Center, Angelo State University, and Texas Tech University Health Science Center at El Paso. He is focused on providing each university with the resources needed to achieve its mission. As part of his leadership, the chancellor also works in both Austin and Washington to increase funding and support for all system institutions. Before becoming chancellor, Duncan served in the Texas legislature for more than two decades. Now, serving in the Texas legislature, do you get like a combat badge or something like that? For uh, we should, especially in the month of May. But uh, uh, no, it's uh, it's it's purely a service thing. It pays about six hundred dollars a month, and but it's a it's a really great honor to do that, and and really a good experience uh, for it was for me. Yeah, I think many people don't know that that they just assume that you know all politicians get this big salary, and then they find out that legislators are are paid. You know, minimum. No, it's less than minimum wage, right? There, there was actually a candidate who won and went to orientation. He thought that he got paid the same thing as a congressional person got paid, which is about one hundred and sixty thousand. He gets to orientation and he finds out that it's six hundred a month. I would have hated to have. Or would have liked to have been on the phone call back home when he reported how much. He Did got. he quit his day job? I, I think he's still there, but um, we don't want to put him on the budget right. committee. Now, Chancellor, we do a show where we talk about uh, music in people's lives. Did Did you grow up with music in your home where there's a musical? I, I try to remind our younger viewers that once upon a time, families actually gathered in the home in one room and did things like conversing and singing. And I know it's a shocking concept to a lot of our, uh, our younger students. Uh. Well, our family didn't do that, but but my sisters were, I had four sisters, and my older sisters were always involved in either band or choir at the church or at the school. But it wasn't as necessarily a family event. I got a guitar when I was 12 years old, and a lot of my buddies around the neighborhood had started getting guitars. And so I got a silver tone special Sears acoustic guitar for Christmas, and so that's how I actually got interested in music. Where did you grow up? In Vernon, Texas. And Vernon is a large metropolis. Uh, yeah, you? of at least 12,000 people. <laughs> uh, was it 12,000 when you were there? Or it's about you, 12, yeah, it's been it's pretty stayed steady. about 12, yeah. Right. That's right. And what, what uh, business were your parents in? My dad was a soil conservationist, and my mother was a homemaker. Did they uh, listen to any particular music of that, that, their you know, era? Or? My dad liked, I think, the gospel music primarily um, and hymns and things like that but uh, you know he liked Tennessee Ernie Ford I think if I remember right we had a lot of those and uh, 45s around the house but uh, he didn't really get into the Beatles or Jimi Hendrix or any of that was was that your musical taste as disturbing to him as most uh, kids to their parents uh? well it, you know I kind of turned it into a little bit of a business in high school so it you know it, it always gave me a little money in my back pocket so I think that might have been 
uh, a uh, mitigator of any issues my dad might have had with it. Was this entertainment or retail, the, your business? Well, it was a re- well, I guess it was minor retail, basically. But, um, you know, we always, we had a little band that we had about four people in it. Usually, at the end, I think we had three. But we always had 25 or $50 in the back pocket. They'd pay us a couple hundred dollars to play a weekend gig or something. So w- weddings or, or parties? Parties. And yeah. um, in Vernon, there's always a big event at the Lion's Den uh, on Friday night after football games or on Saturdays. Uh, and so we would be the entertainment. We'd play in little towns around as well and charge a gate. We'd make $200, so we'd split that four ways. Well, I guess your parents must have been impressed by that because most musicians, you know, the worry is like, well, you're not going to make any money off of this, but you were already bringing home some revenue. Well, we were. I don't know if we, if, you know, if you costed out the equipment and everything else, uh, if, how much we really made, but at least we always had a little money in our back pocket. Now, you must have had a very mixed uh, group there if you're going to the, the Lions Club. I mean, did you have... Or Lions Den. The yeah. Lions Den. Was yeah. that, was that, well, I'm sorry, that was a, a bar? The Vernon Lions. L- no, it wasn't a bar. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a high school oh, okay. place I'm on sorry. top of the fire yeah. station. Where so we, was it mostly younger people or did you have yeah, a it was, mixed crowd? Yeah, it was the school. It was the high school. And then there could be other people from other towns, surrounding towns that were friends that would come up there as well. But no alcohol or anything. It was just oh, the, uh, yeah. it was the school sponsored event, uh, you know, where I guess they could get all of us together and keep us out of trouble. But it worked out pretty good. We had a lot of people uh, would come to those events and and uh, it was a gathering place as well. Well, of course, you went into now two careers, uh, three careers, excuse me, with your, your law practice where you have to appear in public and, and speak. Did, did you think those experiences of standing up and playing music in front of a very critical audience uh, helped you? You know, I probably did. Uh, I, I remember when I was in college and in law school, even it was I was not as comfortable as I, you would think I would be. Uh, speaking, but uh, it didn't bother me to get up in front of people and talk to people. As long as it's not, I think it was always uh, whether you're communicating to people or, or giving a speech. If I was communicating, it'd be a lot more easy or might, a lot easier than it would be if I were trying to recite a speech or give a prepared speech. Yeah. I had to learn that later. Yeah. Now, did you have a, a particular uh, list of tunes? That w- w- did, did you have to get approval from the principal of what you were playing, <laughs> or did they trust you that you weren't going to go off the reservation? Well, we there were a few songs. Back in those days, there were a few songs that were, you know, Louie Louie was about as bad as it got, okay. and they let us play that. So, uh, you know, did today... They, did they let you play because they didn't understand what it said? Or? Well, I, don't, I think it was ambiguous. <laughs> what it said. I don't think anybody knew what it said, but we did a clean version. So oh, okay. we just kind of muted that word that uh, uh, that was in there. But uh, Louie, Louie, take her to the dance and uh, study for chemistry. Class. Well, or something yeah, like okay, that. Well, yeah. we, we, mo- we modified the bad part a little bit. Now, the first song that you listed for us is uh, a Beatles tune. And of course, here in Lubbock, uh, just a, a less than a month ago, we had uh, Paul McCartney uh, come to town. And uh, the, the song is here Comes the Sun, and this uh, now this is a George Harrison song, of course. Right. Do you remember the first time that you heard the Beatles? Yeah, I think I was probably, you know, I, when did they first come out? In 63 or 64? To the United States, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, so I was 10 years old, and yeah. uh, they were on the Ed Sullivan Show. We always watched that, and, you know, I thought it was pretty cool that they had long hair and wore the Beatle boots. Uh, I didn't care as much for the boots as I did for the hair, but uh, there was I was in elementary school at that time, and they were a big hit, and, I, you know, I thought, 
I liked it, and it wasn't didn't necessarily inspire me at that time, but I thought it was really neat and the the way they kind of took over and they were heroes basically and to young people at that time, and they brought forth the new music. I had no idea of Buddy Holly at that time. I grew up in Vernon, of course, not in Lubbock, so uh, I didn't know of that influence that he had on the Beatles. But uh, at that time, uh, as a young kid, of course, they were it was neat, has a good beat, and I think that's kind of what basically uh, kept me interested in the Beatles. Did you see the effect? I mean, now we look back, and I was—I would think I was—I was born in 1963. But retroactively, I kept hearing that, like the Beatles were a sensation in the United States. But I do talk to lots of people where obviously it wasn't a sensation necessarily every everywhere. But did you notice in school that that people started paying attention to the Beatles and playing their music? Yeah, you know, they well, people were you know, I always was taken back by the fact that the crowds would yell and scream when the Beatles played. I didn't see much sense in that. You couldn't hear the music. But I thought that, you know, the Beatles were kind of fundamental uh, with regard to rock and roll, at least the rock and roll that I grew up to appreciate and enjoy, because it was it was fairly straightforward. The beats were very clear. Uh, it was music you could dance to usually. Their later, Some of their later stuff got a little abstract, but uh, it was good fundamental music for kids like me that were starting out as a musician or trying to play music, uh, rock and roll music, because it was pretty, a lot of their music was pretty straightforward. Twist and Shout, you know, those are fairly easy songs to play and for young bands to, to be able to, uh, to actually reproduce with some accuracy and, and uh, enjoyability. <laughs> Well, you've just given a, a, a great pedagogical lesson. We always try to tell new teachers is that, you know, when you're, you're trying to teach something, you've got to give the students early assignments that they can accomplish and be successful in to train them to move up the level of right. difficulty. If you throw something too complicated at them right away, right. they might start turning off and, and not, you know, enjoy learning as much. And good teachers know that. So you, you sense that very early with music. Well, the first song we ever played was uh, I'm Not Your Stepping Stone. And we did play that in a talent show. And I think it was because we borrowed a bass player from a really good band. And, and that might have made it sound better than it really was. But but it was a simple song and something that we couldn't mess up to. Even the lyrics, you couldn't mess that up. Here Comes the Sun, George Harrison. Interesting song. You'll see a lot of these songs were basically that I've picked out, or not all of them, but most of them are in the 1969-1970 era. That was back when I was when I was in high school. Uh, this was actually, and I didn't know this until we started looking, uh, getting ready for this show, but this was a song written by George Harrison with Eric Clapton, and actually he wrote it in Eric Clapton's garden. Uh, and, um, and it was one of my favorite songs just because I liked the guitar in it, I liked the music, I liked the beat in the in the song, and it's just a, it's just a good, happy song. And uh, I think what happened, when he wrote the song, he was basically writing it. In England, the, the winters are long, and apparently they were sitting in, the, in Eric Clapton's garden and the sun started coming up and it just the song just started that's how the beatles a lot of times would write a song they'd be inspired by something like that but uh, clapton was pretty amazed at the way george harrison was able to uh, just come up with the words and then the song just basically uh, wrote itself after that here comes the sun here comes the sun i say it's all right All right. 
Your next song, Proud Mary by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Actually, I sort of remember this song from when I was uh, a teenager in the, the 70s, and I thought it was vaguely risque, but again, I didn't exactly understand what Mary was proud about. You know, like I, I, I often uh, talk to students about this, that until the modern era, we didn't actually get to read the lyrics of songs, unless you're a musician right. like you. It's not like you would go out and buy the lyrics. So I, I was interviewing Dean Carroll Edwards, and we were talking about how we had never known the actual words for Sweet Home Alabama until we were in our 30s, because <laughs> yeah. then we finally looked at online and the web and saw what the, the music was. When uh, did Proud Mary first come into your life? Well, it was in 1969, and we actually played this song. And, um, you know, I never sang. I, I was horrible, and so they wouldn't let me sing. So I never knew really all of the words uh, to the songs. I basically would just listen to the music, and that was what I focused on. But um, Proud Mary was a song written by John Fogarty, who this was, I think, his first kind of hit uh, that later, you know, he was the uh, lead in Creedence Clearwater Revival. And the song was... Um, Basically, when he started writing it, he was writing it about a domestic washerwoman that he called Proud Mary. But as he started writing the song, the the chords and the beat of the song started reminding him of a paddle wheel on a boat. And so that's what that's where he went with it. it was a it was a riverboat. And I, you know, I don't know that the song really has a lot of meaning from a lyrical perspective. It just had a good beat. And uh, it became, you know, Ike and Tina Turner played this song. It was a big hit for them as well. But it was the first song that Creedence, actually John Fogarty and Creedence played. And we picked it up, and it was a good song for us because it had a good beat. It was simple. There wasn't a whole lot to it. The lead was fairly simple, and um, people knew what the song was. And so, uh, but I just remember it, and I always liked it. And every time I hear it, I turn up the radio. Discipline, of course, is something that's a great learning uh, tool for fu- the future from almost every uh, career, including the three ones that uh, you've pursued in, in your life. Did you start getting inspired towards the law at that time? No. Nope. Um, actually, I, I uh, didn't plan to go to law school. Law school was a uh, plan B for me. I was uh, I, I, When I came to tech, I really wanted to be into agriculture and production agriculture, so I wanted to farm. And um, I loved it. I worked on the farm in the summers and during the winters. uh, What kind of? uh, uh, Cotton, cotton. alfalfa, wheat, 
kind of what we grew in in the Wilbarger County. My dad was a soil conservationist, so you know we had a lot of had a lot of background in that at home, and so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to come back to Vernon and live there and do that, and so that's I majored in agricultural economics when I graduated from Texas Tech in 1976. The agricultural economy was about as poor as in, in, in a recession, about as bad as it's been. Uh, we, we weren't exporting. There was an embargo on our exports. So our markets went down, plus interest rates. We were in inflation. Interest rates were high. And so Dad and I looked at it, and I just said, I can't do this, so what's plan B? Well, I'd been involved in student government and things like that, and I thought, well, law school would be an interesting thing. So I took the exam and got in. And so, uh, and it's probably the best decision I've ever made. I actually, when I got into law school, I, I enjoyed it. I liked what I was learning. And when I got out and practiced law, I really enjoyed that. It was one of those kind of jobs that you wake up in the morning and you look forward to going to work. So that's the kind of job you ought to have. Absolutely. I hope you have it now, too. I, I know that every day is different, just like uh, your other professions uh, as well. Today, I Started Loving You Again by Merle Haggard. That's not a real famous song, but it was at the time. I used to, whenever I gave up the band stuff, everything, I traded in all my electric stuff for acoustical guitar. And I used to sit out on the back front porch, and I'd actually try to sing this song. I just liked it. It was just one that always, it's a straightforward country and western song. I really wasn't much into country and western, but this one I liked because it was, uh, it, I think it's really straightforward. It's easy. You know, it's its just uh, a very predictable song, but it's just one that, you know, you sit on the front porch of your house and sing, and it's just a comfortable song. Now, since we can, we're using the word love, I, I want to bring up that I, I did get a chance to meet your, your lovely wife. Uh, did you share music with her? I mean, today I started loving you again. That's a great song to introduce yourself to a girl, I guess, or, <laughs> or, or one that, or your old girlfriend, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, she, uh, I, she's heard me play before. But uh, this song uh, is one that actually I, in getting ready for this uh, this interview, I, uh, you know, this is one of my, I just first one of the first songs I thought of. So I pulled it up and. I don't think she had ever heard it, so I, she pulled it up on YouTube and played it, and I think she liked it. Today I started loving you again I'm right back where I've really always been I got over you just long enough to let my heartache mend. Then today I started loving you again. What a fool I was to think I could get by. With only these few million tears I cried I should have known the worst was yet to come And that crying time for me had just begun Cause today I started loving you again I'm right back where I've really always been 
When did you meet your wife? Terry and I met several years ago. Uh, in um, at one point in time, she worked at the law firm where I worked. Uh, we she left there, and then uh, we we met up again in about five years ago, and uh, we uh, renewed our friendship and and uh, decided we'd get married. Did you share musical taste at all? Or? I well, I think she's tolerant of, of what I like to listen to. <laughs> Are you tolerant of what she likes listening oh, yeah. to? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We 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 like she likes rock music and classic rock music and it's uh, very uh, we're, we're very compatible on our music. Your next song is Santana Evil Ways. Yeah, that was one of the first songs Santana ever came out. I like Santana. I like to listen to the guitar lead. I think it's he plays a it's a unique Carlos Santana. He doesn't sing many of these songs, but this song was I think their first hit. We never played it, but it was just uh, one that I always liked, and I just—it was a song that reminds me of back in my high school days. And uh, I think I like Carlos Santana's guitar leads is what I really like about it. But this was the first one, and we uh, we actually did. Now I remember we did play a version of this, and it was it was um, it was kind of fun. But um, it just was one of those songs that I, I really always I measure these songs no, normally by the leads that are played in them. Really, I like the way the the guitarist, the art of the guitarist, and how they, it's, it's interesting to read sometimes how they write these leads. They really just kind of take off and fly with it, uh, hopefully in the context of the song, and then when they record it, then they, they're able to re- replicate it in many different, you know, in, in the different versions that they do. But this one, you know, Santana was just, he had a unique style, or has a unique style the way he plays a lead, and that's what I like about this one.
When you were in the legislature, you had a, a, a great relationship, of course, with Texas Tech, and you were one of our, I mean, our strongest advocate um, in Austin. It's all often interesting because universities tend to be very self inwardly gazing places and we don't necessarily always aware of how other people see us or other people uh, aware how was how was texas tech seen outside of lubbock how, how did austin see us well you you know if you if you look at the legis let's talk about the legislature austin is its own little we're better than everybody else sort of a place or we're different and so you know, Lubbock's kind of, we're, we're kind of a, what I would call more of a st- stable, conservative culture where Austin is kind of keep it weird, sort of. So, you know, if you look at that, if you look at Austin and that culture, uh, you know, they don't necessarily, they, they like what they do more than they like what we do. But if you look at the legislature, uh, Tech has a good reputation uh, for being a quality institution that does more with less. And oftentimes the ideas that Tech have are basically we we will tout them in the legislative process and they will be followed by others. In fact, we we basically a lot of times Tech led a lot of the legislative initiatives that all of the universities benefit from. Well, that that's really interesting. I've never heard that story. Could you give an, an example sure. of one of those? Yeah. Well, if you look at uh, when we go back into the research aspects of uh, in 2009, when we created these different research initiatives for universities like Texas Tech and Houston and University of Texas at Dallas, the non-puff schools, uh, it was Tech that led the we, we led that charge uh, with regard to the technical aspects necessary, with regard to how you design those things. The National Research University Fund concept uh, was ours. We typically lead on the formula uh, improvements uh, as we've gone through. Uh, we've done the political leadership on that. And then when you look around uh, in, in Austin, a lot of uh, the staff, uh, persons that are on different staffs, Texas Tech people. I think at one point in time, the lieutenant governor's uh, staff, uh, there were at least three high pe- people that were high in the lieutenant governor's staff were all tech grads. So, uh, you know, we have people all over the capital and people that are successful in the business lobby as well that are, that are tech graduates as well. And so uh, we're just known. Uh, and the quality of the, I think, the, the representation that was down there, you had Monford, you had Pete Laney, uh, Rob Janelle, all were tech people. And I think a lot of that rubbed off as well of the respect that those people had in uh, in Austin. I think it's a great legacy that we're passing on. Your next song is Sunshine of Your Love by Cream. Now, when you were in law practice, I, I guess you know we don't necessarily associate music <laughs> with, with law. In fact, I can't think of a good positive lawyer song. I think there's a few <laughs> negative lawyer songs out there. Probably not. Some poet, <laughs> negative poetry that Shakespeare started, but uh, you don't hear like ballad of the uh, the lawyer or, so, or something like that. Did you did you continue your your playing of music uh, through your career, or was it something you put aside? I, I actually w- was uh, in your home, of course, for an event uh, a few weeks ago, and I noticed you had a guitar on a stand. Now, is that your original Sears, or I, I, I'm not no, a guitar person, so I didn't recognize what it was. No, that's a uh, that's a classical acoustic guitar, and um, I have three, um, but I really quit playing pretty much. Uh, I, you know, I lost interest. Uh, I didn't like the music that was coming out after in the late 70s, other than maybe the Eagles, and I really didn't care much about them until later in life. So I kind of, after I got it, went to college, I, I pretty well backed off of it and didn't play for a long time. I picked it back up a few years ago and uh, in a period of time where I had more time and 
played a little bit more, but you know, right now I'm not. I don't have the time to play. You got to play. Uh, you got to continue to play. You got to play every day if you're going to be any good. And so uh, I haven't done that, but I, I I enjoy every once in a while just sitting down and strumming. We had a um, our high school reunion was our 40th was a few years ago, <laughs> and so um, the guy that played the bass and our band continued to play and so he still plays today and has a band so he had the band that played for our reunion and we had about 100 people there at this reunion anyway at the end of the day he he pulled some of us back up there and we all played a little bit but uh, we had fun doing that but i haven't really focused on playing it's um i'd like to that's something i'd like to uh, pick up eventually when i have more time it's just you know you got to make time for it it's getting me done song another classic after midnight by the great patsy klein yeah you know patsy klein you know i just that's a song that i just remember in high school and in college as well hearing and playing and um and i always liked patsy klein and this one was one it seemed like i got a tape at one point in time in my life and had patsy klein on it and i would drive back and forth to austin i'd have that tape and i'd always go to that song and it's just a song that to me is um kind of a comforting song it's a i wanted to mix in a few country songs with this and that was one that i thought if i were thinking about a country song patsy klein and walking after midnight would be um be it you know she didn't like that song when she first recorded it but it was her first hit and probably her best most well-known hit and but it's just a unique song and has a good beat to it and i just like her vocals in it i go out walking after midnight See a weeping willow cry. 
have another great next, uh, Folsom Prison Blues by, <laughs> by, I don't even have to, I don't have to say that, dude. Johnny Cash, I, I, Johnny Cash is a perfect example of somebody who won over probably four generations of, of listeners. You know, he, yeah. he, when he passed away, there was an entire, you know, new group of young people who had discovered <laughs> this man, Johnny Cash. Well, hey, yeah, in 68, I mean, I think this thing was actually released in 1955, but, uh, uh, the album Live from Folsom Prison, I think, uh, really revitalized his career, but this song was the one. And I remember it, you know, it was one that uh, I always liked. But I liked the way he sang it and the way he attacked it. And my son and I were talking about this. My son's 24, and uh, and he, he, he likes this song as well. And uh, it's just the way he sings it. It's just the, the guitar, and it's kind of simple, but it's uh, it's just something that, you know, stays in your mind after you hear the song. Now, now, is this the one that says, Mr. Congressman, you don't understand? <laughs> no, it's yeah, shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. I guess Johnny Cash had a, had a mixed relationship with the legislature. Probably did, <laughs> and the law enforcement as well. But, uh, he, you know, he actually was, uh, he was a prison reform person. Um, and, and, you know, I think there's a quote that I found is... He said he wrote the, 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 the phrase, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die, trying to think of the worst reason for killing another person. And I think he was trying to, at that time, basically uh, uh, begin a prison reform kind of movement where he would play in the prisons, and, and uh, but bring, you know, I think, out some of the uh, abuses that were occurring. And, you know, there was a quote he said, and, and I've always working in a legislature we worked on a lot of issues like this and dealt with these kind of issues and he said here i don't see anything good come out of prison i'm quoting from him right now you put them in like animals and tear out the souls and guts of them and let them out worse than they went in and that was our original corrections approach i think and i think he brought out at least from a political perspective uh, notice of the fact that hey our prison systems in in those days were and probably still today, were designed to do the wrong thing, and uh, there wasn't much rehabilitation in those. And today, I think it's very um, uh, relevant to the discussions we have about who are we incarcerating and why are we incarcerating them. And um, I think, uh, in the expense of that, as well as the as the um, cultural uh, issues that go along with that. And in Texas, I think you've seen us move a little bit toward less, uh, you know, movements toward moving more out of uh, out of our prison systems and into rehabilitation as opposed to giving them a master's degree in crime in prison, basically. But that, you know, Cash, uh, that was his mission in life, I think. But I love the way he played and uh, love the way he attacked that song. It, it was really a, uh, he, he was good. I hear the train a-coming it's rolling around the bend And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when I'm stuck in Folsom Prison And time keeps dragging on But that train keeps rolling On down to San Antonio When I was just a baby My mama told me, son Always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry
next song is Stairway to Heaven, and, and that's usually rated. I, I know when I was growing up, there was a, an annual poll in the city where I lived of you know, 500 top rock songs of all time, and Stairway to Heaven was always number one. I, I bet it would probably still win today as a number one rock song of of all time. Somewhat mysterious meaning <laughs> as well there. But uh, when did you first hear uh, Stairway to Heaven? Was that another formative song from your high school and college, no. college years? Well, or? that was college. Yeah, I, yeah. And, and I remember I loved the song because I liked the way it, it progressed. I didn't really listen to the lyrics. I listened mainly to the to the music. But um, that was the song that I would put. That was back in the eight-track tape days. And I had a eight-track tape deck in my Our system. younger viewers will have to look that up on Google <laughs> Images and see what we're talking about there. And that's right. It's and a pre-iPod, right? That's, and that was the tape that I would put in after finals were over, and I was driving home to Vernon, which was a three-hour drive, and I'd put that in, and I'd play that about a thousand. I had good speakers in my car, at least for that day, and I'd play that song um, over and over again because I love that the, the closing lead and the way it gets up to it. I think that's what everybody likes is the lead guitar. The, uh, I did a little research on that, and um, the uh, the lead was played by Jimmy Page of, of Led Zeppelin, and he basically just he did it he did that lead in three takes, which is pretty amazing because it's really it's really good and it's a complicated uh, song not just the lyrics but but the changes and and, right. and and you know the musical terms better than I do but it's it must be hard to have you ever played it no uh-huh. no and I never tried to play it it was uh, that was after my concentration on that sort of thing but uh it was just uh, he basically said when he the way he described writing it he says okay take a deep breath and play and he did he did it three times and got that i just it's amazing to me and then now then he's able to replicate it uh, it just was to me uh, that's what i liked about that song not anything necessarily about the the lyrics i don't even know the lyrics but um but i always just listen to the to the guitar in it and that was a good song. After you finish finals, you know, you're going home. You really want to have a little energy. And so I'd plug that in and turn it up, and, and uh, those were good memories. Do you play that in your office now? or? Well, I'll, if when I hear it come on, you know, I listen to classic vinyl on the XM. Yeah. And then it plays, you know, they'll play that song every now and then. And, uh, you know, if uh, my son gave me that uh, CD as well, because uh, he likes it too. And, and so we, uh, we have uh, shared that song before. All it glitters is gold And she's buying the stairway When she gets there she knows If the stores are all closed With a word she can get
Now your next song is probably what would be number two in, in uh, most famous and uh, best rock songs of all time, Hotel California by the Eagles. Yeah, you know, neither one of those would be a surprise for somebody of my age, They're, those songs being in their top ten. I think uh, the Eagles, this one was released in 1977, which was long after I'd graduated from college, and I really didn't become an Eagles fan until later, and uh, I'm... I uh, bought a uh, a uh, tape. It was actually a cassette tape. That was before CDs were really in cars much. But anyway, I started listening to that, and that song to me was. And they've played it. There's two versions of it. There's a there's an electric version, which is one most people are familiar with. But there is also an acoustical version, or an unplugged version of it, more or less, where they play uh, where the lead is played on a an acoustical classical guitar or or acoustical guitar. I like the Eagles because of the precision that they and the, and they're they're very um, very disciplined in the way they play their music. They're con- I've been to a lot of their concerts. They play very uh, their their concert is about their music, not about the dancing around the stage. You know, I kind of fell off of the Rolling Stones because I thought their music was pretty good, but I never liked their Mick Jagger jumping around on the stage. Just bothered me, <laughs> and I thought that the concert would be was more. Well, about, now you got to admire except what a seventy-nine-year-old. Yeah, I know jumping around <laughs> on the stage, but I always thought you know there's more to it. it you know, if, if you have to jump around on the stage, it means your music is probably not as good. And the Eagles, they sit there and they play, and they don't make mistakes. And they're, they play their, and it's always interesting, they play their new stuff, but everybody likes their old stuff. I think that was the same way with the McCartney concert when we had, we had them here, when he was here. People like the old stuff, the new stuff is good, but it's the old stuff that kind of brings back the memories. And this song to me just is one that I've, I could listen to it, you know, every day and, um, and still uh, maybe hear something different in it. But um, uh, it's it's a pretty interesting. I guess you can make up what it means. I've I've used the uh, the phrase in the song. You can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave uh, to describe a lot of things in life <laughs> and a lot of mistakes that can be made in life. And uh, uh, to me, it's one of it's one of the uh, great lyrics of uh, of the song. And probably you know it's something that uh, describes a, a life lesson.
Now, you are mayor of a small city in terms of size of, of the Texas Tech, a uh, number of employees and dependents. And uh, I remember once um, a university president say, said to me that there are 100,000 people that can get up in the morning and feel free to send me an email complaining about something. <laughs> and with Texas Tech, if you think about all the graduates and parents, and it's really hundreds of thousands of people. But unlike, say, Vernon, Texas, we have astonishing diversity of constituencies. I mean, you know, you've got music professors and janitors and, you know, physics f- physicists. And, and that, of course, you had a great training in your many years working hard for us in Austin to get to know. But how has it been to learn about all the just the different groups here at Texas Tech. Well, it, you know, we uh, we are a diverse university, uh, yet we all share, uh, I think, a, a love for the university. And um, uh, universities are what I, I kind of call them a sensitive bureaucracy. And um, and then recognizing that, be careful of uh, of how what you say might be perceived. That's pretty familiar to me from serving in a legislature you know you're in a you're in a in a fishbowl there and anything you say can be misconstrued and so i've kind of focused on the first semester here which is my first semester with the system and to be very careful about what i say be very careful about what what we plan and what our vision is i think we're we're Quite frankly, I think we're on a good mission right now. Though the good news about what I've inherited here is it doesn't need to be radically reformed. It just needs to continue moving, and we need to continue to be innovative about how to get to the next level. And so uh, I'd rather not have distractions. And so I'm careful about what I say. I'm trying to be very careful about how we move into new ideas uh, that we get buy-in. You can't move into you just can't force issues on a university campus you need to build consensus and you need to listen to what people uh, what their experiences have been and what they bring to the table and that's how we're going to lead from the system level not just at texas tech university but at the other components we have you know two medical two comprehensive medical institutions and then uh, and then a uh, angelo state which is an outstanding undergraduate and graduate uh, school and and with a great endowment so uh, as we work through moving each of those entities to the next level where they need to be uh, we we want to do that with uh, efficiency and we want to do it with consensus on those campuses yeah and i think that's an incredibly shrewd (laughs) observation law legislator uh, working on a campus uh, the listening skills are so crucial and i've certainly found this in my uh, time as a as administrator that if you can just hear people out and actually visibly show that you're here right. he, he, you've heard people out the conversation can get positive right away it's right. when they feel that you've already you know set policy and you're you're trying to ram something through that the resistance gets tougher and tougher and it's very very hard to do that sometimes because you know your inclination sometimes gosh gosh the answer to this is just obvious let's just do it right but taking that just extra time to hear people out and work with them is so crucial i think leadership requires a dialogue as opposed to a monologue and that's the uh, approach that I've seen that works. Uh, it worked in the legislative process where you, if you go to Austin, when you have a, see a hearing before a committee, those hearings are real. And we, and the legislature listens to what people bring to the table. And likewise here, you know, I might not know everything about what I'm doing, and I need to hear from those who do. 
And, um, you know, if we don't agree, we don't agree, but we go about it in a different, we, we still go about it in a collaborative way. And that's how I hope to lead uh, in this position. I'm really fortunate I've got some great presidents that I think have the same philosophy of leadership. I know they listen to me. I listen to them. We all have the same agenda, which is to make this a better system, make the component in the system better, make it better for the students, make us produce a better product uh, for the the state, the country, or the world. And um, as long as we move toward those every day, uh, this university system, this university here will excel, and we will be, uh, I think, known for the quality of the product that we produce, which is really what we're all about. Absolutely. Uh, we have a couple more songs, and, and, and I was just thinking your next one, Purple Haze by Jimi yeah. Hendrix. Now, Jimi Hendrix, and, and I'm not, um, um, you know, don't know much about him. I'm not a, I enjoyed his music, but he had a reputation for being probably among the greatest guitarists ever, and he made it look like he was just making up everything as he went along, but he actually had a lot of the discipline and the precision that you've been talking about. Right. He, he was a great musician. And, you know, this song, we played this song. Uh, I remember the first time I heard it, we were putting it in the 8-track cartridge and uh, in a 56 Chevrolet driving around Vernon. And we went, golly, that is great. And so we figured out how to play it. And at the time, I always thought, well, you know, Jimi Hendrix is also associated with drugs. Uh, but, you know, maybe he died of an overdose. And so I guess that's why people think that. But um, when he wrote Purple Haze, it was really more about a dream that he had had. It was a dream that, in, that it, it basically where he was walking under the sea and was surrounded by a purple haze. And uh, he said it was a traumatic experience, but that in his dream, it was his faith in Jesus that saved him. Now, I had never attached Christianity, Jimi Hendrix, and Purple Haze until I read that, and I was, <laughs> I was pretty amazed by it, but uh, I thought it was pretty interesting that uh, that was his core, uh, and, and that his core in writing that, in writing that song, it just I didn't know that. song, Abbey Road, from the uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, the, the Abbey Road Medley. Right. Well, if you really want to exceed the speed limit, just turn that up when you get to it in the Abbey Road. 
album. It's really, really good rock music. By the way, I wouldn't do that, Chancellor. Lowick <laughs> Police, you know. That's right. Well, go, uh, if you're on the Audubon. Okay. You know, if I've ever gotten a speeding ticket, it's usually because I've had something turned on a little bit too loud, uh, too much into it. But um, this was... Um, you know, this is a time the Beatles were going through a lot of different things, but this medley was uh, basically a McCartney idea. And there's several in here, several songs in here that they just play them back to back. But there's some really good guitar, good lead guitar, and uh, some really good uh, vocals as well. And it's just good beat music. It's just good stuff to listen to. Nothing really uh, magical about it. It's just good, strong music that kind of all ties together in a medley. And it took me a while to remember where it was. I thought it was on the, on the uh, Sgt. Pepper's. Uh, they have a medley on Sgt. Pepper's. But that medley is nothing like the one on Abbey Road, which was, I thought, a pretty pretty neat combination of songs and beats that really worked, I think, reflective of the Beatles. It kind of really captured their sound that I liked. I didn't like their psychedelic sound or their noise. A lot of times they would do noise. I think on the Sgt. Pepper's album, they did a little bit of noise, feedback sorts of things to try to get some effect. But this medley, I thought, captured their real flavor of their earlier music and the beat and the, and the melody that they brought forward in the earlier days. I had a lot of fun working with this, and I want to thank Jaron Kilmer who helped me put all this together. Uh, and we had fun looking up to. She's younger and of the younger generation. She never heard of most of these songs, so we've perhaps enriched her life a little bit with that. Well, thank you, Chancellor, and uh, keep on rocking. Thank you. And in the end